I feel uh, outstanding. Um, it was a long two weeks, but every day was uh, really very, very fun. I learned a lot, and uh, my driving, I think, changed, hopefully for the better. Uh, I went through a lot of different experiences. Each stage had its own uh, elements that you had to uh, adapt to. And uh, my goal is to become a better and better driver, and I think the best drivers are the ones who can drive uh, no matter what the circumstances are and no matter what tool and vehicle they have in their hands. And I think the Dakar uh, really can uh, help you to get to that stage uh, as a driver. So um, I feel fulfilled and I feel happy and I look forward to the next steps. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast, episode 47. My guest tonight is someone who has come back on the show. The first guest I have for the second time, and 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 I think very appropriately so. Uh, Dania, how are you? Good. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. You've come a long way since the last time you were on the show. Well, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, I guess we have new things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the last time you came back here, you uh, were doing a lot of motorcycling uh, in the Gulf, and uh, and since then, you decided to reposition yourself and go do Dakar. Well, I mean, reposition sounds very intentional. I have to say, it just kind of uh, all fell together. I was still racing when we spoke. Uh, no, when we spoke, it was after uh, the season had finished. I had that accident in Bahrain, and then I uh, stayed in uh, Saudi during the... COVID uh, border closures. So I w didn't have access to a racetrack to get back on the bikes, but I did have access to the motorsport uh, landscape in Saudi, which is predominantly, um, let's say rally-based. I know now, alhamdulillah, we host Formula One and Formula E has been around, but uh, in terms of what could I do? Um, I was invited to to watch the Dakar. I was encouraged to participate and- um, Last year. Yes, yeah. uh, it felt accessible. Yeah. Um, I looked at the different groups for Dakar, T1s, T2, three different types of cars. And um, it, it felt like, uh, yeah, why not? I mean, this could happen, right? So you, you had a front row seat almost to Dakar in 2021. I, I remember seeing you going from one, one spot to another. Was it then that you thought, hey, I can do this? Well, I, um, the Saudi Motorsport Federation invited me to do some uh, social media work for them so I can, they knew I was racing. And they said, you know what? We host these World Cup rally rounds. We also host the Dakar rally. If you're into motorsport and you're into driving and racing, have a look. And um, that was it. I I was there observing, um, digesting all this different information. I got to know the team, some of the people, how the ecosystem works. And um, I loved it. I kind of compared it to summer camp, international summer camp. And then the only activity is driving and um I really loved it as an atmosphere, and I thought, yes, I could drive. I didn't think too much about Dakar itself because that felt like um, many steps away. But two months after Dakar 21, there was the Shergiya Baha, which is uh, hosted here, and it's a round of the Baha's World Cross Country World Cup. And that was my first race, and I took everything since then step by step. I ended up doing five of the Baha rounds, um, two in the Middle East, three in Europe, in this group called the T3, which are these um, off-road um, vehicles, lightweight vehicles. And alhamdulillah, I had great results with that. And um, and then eventually it was time for Dakar. And um, yeah, I guess I was ready, alhamdulillah. But, how, uh, how well did you do? 
how did how well did you feel you did on those races in Europe and did they determine whether you were going to do Dakar or not well the first race in Sharqiyah my goal was to finish the race I'd never been in one of those cars before the racing ones actually tried it the first time the day before the race so I had tried the stock version of it um and I just took it easy you know over the sand over the dunes learned how the car handled use the brakes the pedal things like that and uh it was great I was in the t3 group I was the only one in the t3 group um other cars were in different groups so when I finished the race I won 25 points towards the world cup so that was a great bonus um awesome a week later I went to Jordan and I was also the only T3 car and I finished and I won another 25 points for the World Cup. So by the time the summer came around, you know, the, the Motorsport Federation said, uh, you know, Dania, you have 50 championship points. You know, we encourage you to continue. And I said, yeah, actually, great. Why not? So I went to um, Poland, Hungary and Italy. Mm-hmm. And in all three races, my goal was always just to finish the race because it was my first year. I was still getting to know cross country and each country had such different terrain. So how does this car handle in the sand is completely different as to how it handles in the forest in Poland, um, in the gravel in Italy. How does it cross water? How does it cross rivers? Uh, the rocky, you know, uphill, downhill in Hungary. How does it go through those? Um, so each country provided a set of lessons. And I believe that each one served its purpose in getting me through Dakar 2022, for sure, uh, 100%. Uh, so upon completing those three, you, uh, you were like, okay, um, let's, do, let's do Dakar, which for sure is the most demanding from all the other three races that you did before. Yes, um, Dakar is 12 racing days and um, double the kilometers per day compared to the Bajas World Cup. So um, Bahas was like 200 kilometer average per day mm-hmm. over a weekend. So two, three days racing. And Dakar is 12 days. Um, I did well in the Bahas. Alhamdulillah, you know, I finished all of them and I finished well. But um, I wasn't competing in the Bahas. Alhamdulillah, I, I won the T3 group, but not because I was competing. Because, you know, I was developing as a as a driver and I was collecting points after every race. And I just got enough to to win it. But, um, and that was a big lesson that I should have carried with me in Dakar because in Dakar also my goal was to finish. And um, that solidity and that focus allows you to drive at your best, your best level. Um, When you start looking at uh, other elements, it could throw you off balance, but we can talk about that later. I learned a couple of lessons there, but um, Dakar was a challenge in terms of driving, but in a positive way, you know, I was, Really, I was saying when people ask me during the race, what's it like? I said, I feel like I'm getting a PhD in driving because you have to be in the car for 10, 12 hours a day easily. Uh, you average 400 kilometers off road. The rest is going and going to the desert to start your race. And then when you finish your race, you go from the desert back to your camp. And that's also a good two, three hour drive. So it, it, yeah, you have to drive <laughs> for a long time, nonstop. nonstop and in different terrain, you know, you're not, you're not just stationary on asphalt for, uh, three hours straight, except when you're reaching, you know, going to the race, you're constantly, you know, looking at things coming in left and right. How's the ground changing in front of you? You have to look really far to see how you're going to maneuver, but you also have to keep an eye on what's immediately in front of you in case there's any rocks or something that might puncture your tires. 
You have to be very aware of what's around you left and right. Um, I wish I had 360 vision every day when I was there, but um, it, it requires a lot and you're constantly stimulated, but it's such a fulfilling sport, yeah, truly. Yeah. So can you just talk me through what a normal day looks like in Dakar? What time are you? By the way, thank you for letting me wear this for a second. It's really heavy. I think it's like scarring my neck. It looks my good on you. gracious. Uh, first medal I think I ever wear in my life. Um, can you uh, just describe what uh, did day one look like for you? And uh, and then take us from there, the journey. Okay, so first day we drove the cars from Jeddah to Hayat. And that's not even a racing day. That was just to get to the starting point. So. It's about 800 kilometers. Yeah, something like that. Oh but on the way to Hayat, we um, did 19 kilometers in the desert. And that was basically called a prologue. So that decides... Uh, who's going to start first at the race. So people with similar times can start close to one another. I'm not sure the logic, but I would assume it's, you know, safety reasons, right? So if a really fast person starts next to a, really, a much slower person, that could be a problem. So the prologue uh, orders uh, the start per speed, mm -hmm. by speed. So you drove to Heil on, on road? On road. In, that, in your car? In the racing car. In the racing car? Yeah. What and kind of speed are you averaging? Uh, we follow the road rules. So 100, 120? Yeah, we, we kept it under 120 because of the mechanism that runs the car. Yeah. Uh, so maybe 105, 107 max. I, I, I've done that drive in, in a normal SUV, a Nissan Patrol, the okay. AC, um, you know, a fridge box, speakers, music, everything's normal. And I was like, that's a long drive. You know, you it was like mind? a really long, long drive. It was so funny. I asked uh, the mechanics, he said, do you have any questions? You know, I mean, I told them, listen, I wish I had more technical questions, but I do have one question. How do I get the Bluetooth to work? Because <laughs> the team manager told me I had Bluetooth. Yeah. He looks inside and said, I'm so sorry. I think uh, maybe there was a misunderstanding, but there's no music. Yeah, okay, mm. no problem. <laughs> so I told Sergio, my co-driver, I was like, Sergio, no music. <laughs> but um, that turned out to be a good thing. Because every morning when I would drive on the road to get to the start, yeah. we'd have a very quiet ride and um, I needed it. I would uh, observe my thoughts, um, collect them, gather them if I needed to. Almost meditate. Almost meditate, set an intention for the race, stay centered on it. If I had music, I think I would have been too distracted mm -hmm. to kind of uh, get focused. But um, so day one, we also didn't have a windshield. I was really late in ordering a windshield for my car because I wasn't sure that I wanted it or needed it. I said, it's like a motorcycle, right? If you don't have a windshield. And then Sergio, my co-driver, told me, we really need one, trust me. So um, it took a couple of days to get it. But the drive from Jeddah to Hyatt, we didn't have it. And, Are you um, wearing a helmet? Wearing a helmet, but it rained. <laughs> it rained it keeps whole. getting worse. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and you know, with that mentality, you, you have to have a good mentality. Because when it rained, I said, I'm sure there is, there's a reason for this. I'm sure of it. You know, maybe it's building my resilience for the next 12 days. Yeah. Maybe it's just preparing me for what's in store, maybe, maybe this, maybe that. And I just enjoyed the rain. I said, you know what? Rain smells nice. <laughs> so we were okay. You always have this different outlook on life. Uh, but rain does smell when, nice. It does smell nice, but it also creates uh, a bunch of other uh, elements that are probably not favorable to but, a racer. But you know what it also did? So the second day of Dakar, usually there's a stage called the marathon stage. Okay. And that means that you race. And then instead of going back to your garage where the mechanics work on the car and you go to sleep, usually you park your car in a different location and only you and your co-driver are allowed to examine the car and work on it. 
and then you sleep uh, there right by the car and then the next day you race again so that's called a marathon stage and we had to have that the second day of dakar but the rain had flooded the location of the marathon stage so what happened instead was that we got to drive back to the mechanics they took care of the car i got to sleep in my motorhome and eat a hot plate of food and then race the next day well rested so the rain was uncomfortable until i embraced it and then it was really a blessing it's okay yeah so you reach Heil. that's day one race starts january 1st yes so january 1st we drove to Heil. we did the prologue 19 kilometers yep. um we finished uh so we had 48 cars in our group and in the prologue 19 kilometers we finished 22nd this uh, is t3 t3 okay. and you know me and sergio said okay 22nd not bad you know we're upper half okay i had no expectations and no thoughts i just wanted to uh, finish the race so i was happy we reached Heil. you know i have this motorhome that i rented unbelievably <laughs> comfortable huge luxury and uh, i'm glad you said comfortable i was worried, I was worried you're gonna say unbelievably amazing. uncomfortable i felt like moving into a bit like a college dorm or a new apartment it was really really cozy in any other circumstances it wouldn't have been anything special but after driving 800 kilometers without a windshield in a t3 no bluetooth no ac wearing a helmet it was heaven yeah i mean honestly i think i would still spend the night there you know even if i had my whole house it was nice so we went um yeah we got to Hyde. it was freezing 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 so i slept uh you know two trousers mm -hmm. three shirts socks like three four degrees i can't i didn't like really yeah, i guess they're, yeah, they're, 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 they top the table uh in coldest parts of the kingdom That's in the winter really cold. <clears throat> and um the next day was day one for racing okay um sergio lafuente my co-driver amazing guys um from uruguay 55 years old he was in the olympics in 96 and won a he was sixth in his group and he for weightlifting so he's just pro athlete um and he gave me a lot of advice so i felt comfortable with sergio he was you know he doesn't speak too much english and i don't speak too much spanish but we managed made, to made get through yeah mm -hmm. we made it work we had our own language we used a lot of sounds gestures you know expressions and then I picked up a bit of Spanish and his English is... Did he start doing this for you? Mm, I mean, sometimes. <laughs> when, when, I'll tell you later. But um, yeah, day one, honestly, I can't... It's hard for me now to separate the days, right? So mm. I remember that we drove well on day one. I think we finished 16th out of 48 and, you know... Excellent. It wasn't bad. Everything was great. Um, I got to know Sergio, how we were going to talk to each other on the road. And basically how it works is you wake up so and you have a start time what about wait, wait, wait. what about like breakfast coffee are you doing no, what, that's yeah? happening so you wake so what up what time are you up five it depends on your start time okay, so you get one. a start time between, i want to know details okay but i don't I mean your i think your brother remembers these more than me but the start <laughs> time depends on the day but usually they, i would say they would range from 7 a.m to 10 a.m okay yeah so that's your start time so i would wake up two hours before my start time because I have coffee i'd have a, a shake avocado coconut milk dates with muesli and some protein powder and that would be like my breakfast do you really have to monitor what you eat here or do people just like let loose or for me i kind of had a pretty good structure okay uh bruno franca came with me the owner of boundless and he's uh, an amazing physio and a great trainer and mm -hmm. he kind of uh, helped me with that a lot he would um you know help me with the shakes and all these things and give me the power bars that i needed for the day and then he would like help me with the evening meals and tell me okay this is going to preserve your energy this is xyz so bruno was a huge support but yeah i'd have coffee i'd have this shake and um 
that's it. We would hit the road. We would, um, Bruno would tape these like physio tapes on my neck just for extra support. Mm. And then uh, we'd get in the car, Sergio and I would get to the entrance of the camp uh, where all the all the teams and races are staying in the same camp. And each have a different way of sleeping. Some have tents, some have huge coaches, some have motorhomes. So it depends on yeah. your setup. So we'd all start from the entrance of the, the bivouac, it's called. Bivouac, yeah. And we'd drive to the desert. And the desert is the official start of the race. So when you drive to the desert, you follow the road rules and everybody's, uh, you know, just taking it easy. And that's when usually people have music or whatever mm. it is. And in my case, that was my, um, I don't know, getting ready kind of part mentally. Yeah, pumped up. Yeah, so we'd get to the, we'd get to the start line mm -hmm. and um, you just watch the cars one after the other, you know, just start and all these clocks and countdown and and you receive your road book. Your road book is a digital tablet and it's the map for the day. So Sergio doesn't know in advance where we're going. He just gets it in the morning and then you have these instructions. I had a small screen in front of me that had two things on it. it, had the speed and it had the direction. So the heading in degrees, like a compass. We, we, we call it the cap. So Sergio would have a list of instructions. It looked like a treasure map there's like drawings and logos and things, um, pictures. So he tell me, okay, Dania, two kilometers at the start, cap 230, for example. So we would start. And then after a while, he tell me, you know, 500 meters, 400 meters, cap 150, as in, you know, we're going to change the heading. Sometimes he'd say things like 300 meters ditch or rock or dune or broken dune or um, danger. Uh, danger can mean just eyes open, rocks everywhere, things like that. It's all showing on his iPad. On his iPad in front of him. And um, I just follow the heading. And while obviously following the heading, you have to look where where the track, sometimes there are tracks. Okay, so if he tells me, Dania, 150 cap, then there's a track right there at 150 and I go for it. And if you're in the dunes, there's no track, right? It's just the sand. But because cars have been there before you, um, there are some tracks you could follow. If you have a better way around, you can take a better way around. Uh, but that's really how it works. And then we do that for, I would say on average, 400 kilometers. But with our cars, we stop halfway to refuel them. And then we take a 20 minute break. I refuel the car, I have a power bar. Sergio has a power bar. You know, I don't talk at all. I stay completely concentrated when I'm driving. I mean, I barely say two words, to be honest, uh, in the stage, you know, out of the stage before and after me and Sergio. Yeah, of course we chat and stuff, but during it's really just Business. numbers and, and rocks and because all of my energy is just completely consumed. Oh yeah. Completely 100%. So consumed. no wasted energy, nothing. Everything's about the drive. Okay. And, uh, you look further, right. To see where you're going to change directions. You look close to see if there's any dangers. You look left, you look right. Um, we have alarms that go off if a car is going to pass us or if we're going to pass a car, we set an alarm to pass them. So it's a whole, um, it's like a different universe. You know, I feel like I transported when I'm driving and it's just, I don't know, a lot of times I felt like I was in a video game and each stage was like a different level. It was like Mario Kart combined with, uh, I don't even know, like even those skiing ones, remember SSX, Tricky, mm -hmm. those guys? Like it was just, you were just, completely absorbed I, I only get that feeling when i'm com completely focused I, I used to get that feeling also on super bikes in the racetrack but this was different because 
it's so long, yeah. you know, and you do that for so many hours that um, you really understand the feeling of being in this flow state, yeah. you know, or focused zone. With the racing, with the bikes, you do feel it, but the race is over in 20 minutes. So by the time I'm I'm out, it's almost like, did it happen? What, what just happened? But here it was really fulfilling. Did you at any point feel overwhelmed that uh, you found it a bit too challenging, too difficult? Did any of it surprise you in its level of difficulty? So I made a promise to myself, two promises. First one was to drive the first kilometer and the last kilometer exactly the same, which meant that I'd never lose my comfort level, which meant that I was never scared, I was never worried, and I was never off balance, except one time, but I'll tell you about that. That was my promise. So I was never scared because I was always in control and I was always comfortable with, you know, what I was doing. The second thing was that um, was not to imagine anything of what might be, because if you try to drive in an area that you think is coming, it you will drive differently than the area that you're in. And that was very important to me. You know, if I imagined huge dunes, then whatever I faced would be mapped against my imagination. And then I would have to readjust the way I'm driving. So I said, keep a blank mind about what's about to happen and just save all of your energy for what's actually taking place. Forget about what you think is going to happen because that's already going to take some of your focus. That was really important. In psychology, you hear a lot of therapists say, stay in your current situation or mental state always forget don't don't live in the past it'll upset you don't live in the future it'll give you anxiety stay current and you'll find it's your best shot at peace that's racing so you can actually yeah it correlates that's to racing. racing as well and you and you release any judgment right so a lot of people would tell me was today hard or did you find that crossing easy or difficult and i don't have that judgment because this is part of the race. I have to cross it. It's hard. It's easy. It doesn't matter. Um, if you think it's hard, you're going to add an obstacle to yourself that you have to overcome. And if you think it, it's easy, you might be too confident and make a mistake. So your behavior will change depending on the judgments that you give to the stage or to the area, or to the terrain. And I was very careful not to give any judgments. So sometimes when it was really bumpy or rocky, I mean, I'm human, right? So I'd think, okay, this is a bit, I'd stop myself. No, this is a bit nothing. You're going to go through it because it's part of the stage and just try to enjoy it and just have fun. And Sergio was a big support in that because if he saw that I was taking deeper breaths in the bigger dunes, he would tell me, just have fun, just have fun. And then, you know, he would remind me that it's okay. And I really would have fun. So... The fear wasn't uh, from what was taking place. The fear was more what what I thought of the place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these two elements really, really helped me keep, keep a clear head and, and drive. Just drive. You know, when it comes down to it, it's like you're saying in day-to-day -day life. If you keep thinking, it's like you have a running commentary about things you see day-to-day -day and judgments and ideas and opinions. It's like, remember when we talked about driving here in Jeddah, and you said, I said, you know what? I don't have an idea of what should be taking place, and that's how I drive. And I did that in the race. I didn't have an idea of 
Why are we in these big dunes? We should be in fast areas. No, we're in these big dunes. We drive these big dunes. And then on the days that we were in the faster areas, of course, it was easier for me uh, not to have to discipline my mind. I just was so happy and having so much fun. And my best finish was sixth on a really fast day. And that was easy. But some days, not easy to drive, as in easy not to have to regulate my thoughts because I was so already focused on what I was doing. Um, but if I thought that fast parts were easy, I could also make a mistake. So I'm still very careful not to put those judgment down. The less meticulous we are, the happier we are. I mean, who are the happiest people in the world? The people that complain the least. And the people that uh, complain the least are able to roll with the punches and challenges that life would throw at them. Again, it's reciprocal when you uh, put it in terms of racing. Racing, racing is life, you know. It's nice to like things. It's nice to have familiarity and it's nice to have routine. And I love all those things. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm careful not to give them too much power to make or break my yeah. day or make or break my performance. You know, for sure, I preferred some days more than others in terms of terrain, but I would let go of that mm. thought as soon as it would come because because then I'll find myself hoping for that funner day, Yeah. right? But if I don't attach myself to any, any of that, then I can enjoy every day more easily. Mm. Uh, sometimes if you say, I only like the fast days, then you're gonna miss the fun of the dunes and you're gonna miss the fun of the, the rocky parts and the canyons and, and you will miss, uh, you won't be able to see it anymore. You'll yeah. just think of those as a pain and a hassle and you wanna get through them to get to the parts you enjoy. I don't wanna live my life like that because I can't control the environment and what terrain I'm gonna face. It's not in my yeah. power to control everything. So do you know what? I'm going to learn how to enjoy all of it. And I think that makes you a better driver. So how did the next few days unfold in Dakar? Day two, three, four, five, six. And then the rest day was? Yeah, so we drove six days. Six days. And then we had a rest day. Uh, actually, we drove seven days if you count the prologue and getting to Hyatt. So the rest day was the eighth day. We didn't drive. And then we had um, another six driving days. Yeah, we had six driving days, one rest day and six driving days. Um, we did well. So the first day, uh, yeah, 22 prologue, uh, first racing day, 16. I think we started moving up day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Very consistent performance, um, no major issues, couple of tire punctures. And I noticed a pattern, I would get them on the rear left. And I think that has something to do with my vision because when you're looking, I can easily see what's going on on the right side of the car and protect it when I'm turning. But I had a problem with the left side. I think I would drift too much. And you're not supposed to drift really mm -hmm. in cross country. The rocks get the side of your tire way too easily. But uh, I was a bit uh, nervous in using the brakes, I think, in the beginning. And the more I got used to using the brakes harsher, then I would drift less. And I could see the driving develop, yeah. alhamdulillah, over the few days. And Sergio, who, by the way, at this point was called Super Sergio, because we were doing alhamdulillah so well and he was calling me wonder woman and you know super sergio we'd start the day and he'd say is wonder okay i'm like she's good super okay <laughs> he's good um it was good chemistry huh yeah it was a good vibe you know he races with his daughter nadia in uruguay and i think he's really used to teaching her because i really saw that he was teaching me he was going beyond his tasks as a co-driver and telling me when to, you know, full gas or take it easy. I mean, obviously I had my own mm -hmm. gauge for that, but he has way more experience on terrain. So he'd tell me, no, it's okay, you can mm -hmm. go full. Or, you know, when I'd approach something too fast, he'd say, take it easy, you can't see. He had a couple of really good mottos. No eyes, no gas. 
so you can't see. Off, yeah, no eyes, no gas, no brakes, no problem. Because uh, if you brake harshly when you're in a ditch or a dip, what happens is the force gets absorbed by the car, mm -hmm. and um, you can you can break something. But if you have a problem, you get into a really bumpy area, you let your foot completely off the brake, it almost rolls over like water. So no brakes, no problem, no eyes, no gas. Because the gas can get you out of trouble too. You can almost gas yourself out of a, a particular yeah. situation yeah. by so, catching grip. Exactly. Yeah. Speed is not speed is not a negative thing. You know, I, my grandma, before I left uh, Lulu, she told me, you know, it's not important to win, it's important to be safe. And I, I said, I disagree. I mean, you can win really safely it's not either or you know just because you're going fast doesn't mean that you're not going safe and i think that's a really important point in racing you know people imagine that speed is the enemy it's actually not uh, as long as you're in control of what's going on don't go faster than you're comfortable with i agree with that that's that's not a good idea but no i think you can win very fast and very safely it's a race end of the day because so, we're, we're programmed, speed kills, you know, for the longest time. You yeah, hear on that. The public it's the road, road of yeah, course. Yeah, road. You know, it's a different set of rules. But I think the most important thing is your comfort level as a driver. Jutta Kleinschmidt, the only woman who's ever won Dakar, told me, Daniel, just drive at your level of comfort, wherever mm. that is. And that's the most important principle. You need to accept your level. You know, again, first, eighth, fiftieth, a hundredth. You need to accept your level and drive there. And your level will grow and will improve as long as you stay in that center. And uh, that's what I promised myself to do. But we were doing so well. We got to sixth place out of 48 cars. And um, I got distracted by that number. And instead of driving to my level of comfort, on the seventh day, I drove aggressively because the car had slightly less power. Instead of going 130 kilometers an hour, it would, wouldn't go past 110. And we had driven already 300 plus kilometers. We only had 20 kilometers to finish the race. And we were on track to finish 10th out of 48 that day. And that would have definitely kept us in sixth place. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know where we were position-wise. And I got caught up with this ranking, which was mistake number one. You know, the result and the rank is an outcome of your driving. And your driving should always be balanced and comfort. And mine wasn't. I uh, wanted to make up for the lack of power, so I stopped using the brakes as much, and I started going too fast. And Sergio told me three, four, five, six, seven times, easy, Dania, easy, easy, let it go. We'll talk tomorrow. We'll fix it tomorrow with the mechanic. Let it go. And I didn't. And I watched myself get more aggressive, and I watched myself get into the canyons, crash completely into a ditch, and break the car. And I knew. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew it. Um, but something inside of me just ignored this part and we crashed. We stopped the car. And what happens is that uh, some trucks are in the race to assist you. They're part of your team. So we waited for the truck to arrive with two mechanics. That took them about three, three and a half hours, which is a long time in racing because you lose all that time. So they. They, were, they finally arrived. They worked on the car for about an hour. We got to the finish with a four and a half hour delay from my mistake. And Sergio told me, he said, no necessary. And he had a new motto for me. He said, uh, no power, you crazy. <laughs> and it was true. You know, he didn't tell me that you went too fast in the ditch. He didn't tell me that uh, you should have turned left or right. He didn't talk about driving. He said, there was no power and you lost it. And he was right. And I learned a lot from that because I woke up the next morning and I said, you know, 
obviously I'm done looking at results, but where are we? They yeah. said, you're 15th. You dropped from 6th to 15th. And I think that was a really important <clears throat> lesson because it freed me from that intensity. And also I'm a rookie, as in this is my first Dakar. And, you know, part of being a professional is being 6th or 1st. First, being first and being able to handle that you're first and still driving with balance and not in an aggressive way that's gonna make you know cost you cost you the race, right? So if you're first and you can't handle the pressure of being first and you make a mistake and you're tenth, then you're tenth. You know? So when people told me what would you be without your mistake, I said I wouldn't be anything because I obviously I'm not ready not to have made that mistake. Yep. You know, so it was, a, it was a difficult lesson to learn. I, I was disappointed in myself, but I also accepted it. I said, this is where I am in life, in driving. You know, I obviously uh, need some more training, but... You, you, just, you just got into this. Yeah. Well, I mean, when was... How long ago did you get into a T3, the car that you raced in? How long uh, ago? Was it longer yeah, than a year, year ago? ago? A year ago. ago. One year, year ago. 12 months. But, but these cars, I mean, they're made for the desert, right? Okay. And... Um, but experience i mean isn't it scary how well you did having only been accustomed or knowing what the hell this car is about for one year i think that it's amazing to do well but i also think that you can peak right so the key is you're gonna peak after a year the key is you have to progress so alhamdulillah for sure this is amazing but but i i plan to inshallah i hope to progress i hope to progress but like because you, you fifteenth, okay, so we finish, so we go down to fifteenth. Yeah. We have five racing days left. Okay, and I decide that I'm gonna drive the same way I promised myself. The first kilometer and the last kilometer the same, with to the level of my comfort as a driver, and to as close to the limit of the car as I possibly can. These are the two elements. So I promise myself, go back to that. Wherever your level is, your level is. And I did, I drove my best for five straight days. We jumped from 15 to 13. We jumped from 13 to 10. In the last two days, we jumped from 10 to eight. So oh, made up. So yeah, we, we came back to top 10 and I was so happy. And it was obviously something I had to go through, but it was a really key moment after that drop in nine positions is, okay, now what are you gonna do? Are you going to just, you know, drive differently? Are you gonna become deflated and, and no, I said, I'm going to drive my best no matter what until the last kilometer. And the ranks are an outcome of that mm -hmm. balance. And that was my mistake on day seven. But at that at point, that point really required you to uh, uh, do some soul searching and see what it is you're made of. Adversity. I had to accept it. But mm -hmm. I had to accept, I had to accept uh, my mistake. And I had to, more importantly, come back from it. Because if you accept your mistake, then there's a next step. It says, okay, so now what will you do? And I said, you know what? I'll drive my best every minute, every kilometer till the end. And uh, I woke up the next day in a good mood. I put some music on, some country music. The mood was lighter. It was, bit, it was getting a bit intense when I could see top five. And I said, you know what? If I find it intense to might finish in that I might finish in top five, then I'm obviously not ready. Um, that's part of being a professional. You know that phrase, it's a rookie mistake? Yeah. I really made a rookie mistake. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> but it was a good, but rookies, it was a good result, and we made a comeback. And 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 alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Please, yani, I'm not trying to discredit at all the result, mm -hmm. but I just want to emphasize that um, it was part of the process to to, to go through that. Absolutely, dip, you know, you you gassed it at a point when you shouldn't have, and you got into trouble, and you lost four hours. All right, you made that mistake. 
in Dakar 2023, which we will get to. <laughs> you, I don't, I'll tell you right now, you won't be making that mistake. Yeah, inshallah. So inshallah. rookies make mistakes. And um, the fact that you finished where you did being a rookie, having only done it for a year, should be terrifying to other races who've been doing it for a decade plus. But again, now it's a progression, right? So alhamdulillah, I'm not discrediting the result. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but um, now I have to develop my skills as a driver with every race. Yep. And I don't know how far I can go. I'll, I'll find out as I go. Do you know what I mean? Because some people will say, okay, I did this this year. And then, I mean, how, you don't know what you're capable of, right? You don't know what's available. You don't know what you can do. Um, so I plan to continue. I plan to train and develop my driving skills and do my best and keep driving. What is the outcome of that? Where will I be? What rank can I get to? I have no idea. It could mm. be eighth still. It could be first. It could be 50th next year. I mean, it could be anything. I really don't know. Obviously, there's a range, right? It doesn't go extreme, but a lot of variables come into play. And I think that if somebody has a intent to progress and improve and they have certain capabilities, I think they can. But I think also that uh, yeah, everybody's different. So I don't know what's in store for me. I just know that I'll do my best to improve as a driver, but I genuinely don't know where that will take me. You know that feeling? Yes, I do. And, and I want to follow up with that and say that the one thing I know is that the average number of years of experience that drivers have before going to Dakar is far less than one. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it at that. I I have to admit. You have, to, you have a lot to be happy about. I'm very happy. But I told, I told my aunt, um, okay, maybe I didn't do any training in like structured areas and things like that for a long time. But when we were kids, um, one of my uh, uncles and aunts had a, a farm, Mazra'a, in uh, just maybe an hour so outside of here. Mm. And they used to have these quad bikes and we used to just play with them all day. So really, really all day. Mm. And, um, you know, I would hog it and my cousins would play, you know, it's our turn, come on, yeah. you don't give it to Dania, you won't see it come back and she'll go far. <laughs> <laughs> and You uh, had a bit of Dakar in you yeah, from a younger I mean, age. So when I came back, I told my aunt, I said, they reminded me so much of your farm, mm. of the Mazra'a, and uh, we were probably doing good 50 kilometers back then, just, you know, not crossing, just mm. in circles, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, for sure, people have had a lot of training, but I'm sure that I've had it subconsciously from a lot of different places. And you know what was interesting? The dunes reminded me a lot of snowboarding off piste. Okay. So that that the hills and yeah. the slopes yeah. and that feeling. Because you snowboard. I snowboard, mm -hmm. and instead of having a board on my feet, I felt like I just had wheels that I was moving with. Mm -hmm. But it was very similar because you Same mechanics. The, yeah, similar yeah. Uh, physics and, you know, even Sergio, Super Sergio, he was telling me, he's like, it's all vectors, you know, and it's all weight distribution. Never, never press the brakes when you're crossing a dune yeah. because they'll throw the weight over. So there's a lot of physics. Right. My mom has a physics degree, and I think a lot of that is kind of already just subconsciously absorbed, right? Whether she was telling us about it or just because I... She's my mom, but that I'm sure also helped. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad is a pilot, you know, so they're all about navigation sure. and compass one, bearings and headings. I feel like all of these different elements come into play. I don't think that I need to be in an academy for 15 years uh, to finish eighth in Dakar. I think that you'll be surprised how equipped you are not knowing that you are equipped. So alhamdulillah, a lot of blessings, I think, have led to this position. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe not so structured, mm -hmm. you know. 
what kind of support did you get from سمو الامير عبد العزيز بن تركي الفيصل سمو الامير خالد بن سلطان العبد الله الفيصل Minister of Sports and Head of Saudi Motorsports Federation respectively what kind of support did you get from them pre and leading up to Dakar Honestly I couldn't have done it without them um unbelievable support you know just somebody inviting you to watch a race and letting you know that this is available and it's an option they believe that you can do it they believe that you can do what you like you know just that belief is the first the first door you know um it's a big deal if somebody comes and tells you listen i think that you can do dakar and i think that uh, if you train and work hard and practice and go get some experience that you can do this race that means a lot because it uh if the key is to believe in in what you can do and you know some people are blessed and they believe in themselves and that gets them through everything and alhamdulillah i always believed that it, that it would be okay you know because this was all familiar i love to drive i love it i love nature i love being outdoors i don't mind being in the car for hours on end no issues i i felt like i could do it yes but when somebody in those positions tells you you know we think you can do it why don't you that that also that just gives you such a uh, it's like a fast track you know to the race a bit it's crazy it, validation it, yeah. it's like just the validation you need to say let's let's do this because of the access you know they 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 allowed me the access to talk to the teams talk to the drivers the races to understand firsthand uh, what goes into this uh, you know when you go to the Dakar and talk to these people and, and it becomes so attainable because they're right there you know if, if somebody who never met you thought about podcasts but never met anybody to do with podcasts they might really not know how to get into it but if i'm sitting in this room and i'm watching you do it and i can ask you questions it uh, it's much easier for me to use it as a template and uh, learn from your story right everybody has a story to tell everybody has lessons and uh, you know uh, they gave me that opportunity to just you know engage with these people mm. now it's not enough for someone to just give you the opportunity and open the door you have to engage once yeah. you're in there right so if they told me oh why don't you come see and then i didn't speak to anybody and i didn't look around or do any research then their effort would have been wasted yeah um so it's a it's a it's a two-way street right somebody can give you a hand but you have to pull your weight uh they're not just gonna enter for you right you have to you have to do your part but uh that access was massively supportive and um just learning about their experiences as racers especially Asmur Amir Khalid you know he told me a lot about his racing days and uh, it was nice to um, to get his you know experience as a racer and and listen to it and um, he was big on it yeah and he mashallah knows so much about uh, the different types of cars and the engines and the technicalities and the regulations and the teams and the he, he just has mashallah so much knowledge uh, in the sport and that helped because I really felt like I could ask you know f- questions that Anything. maybe sound very simple to him but he never answered in a way that was like okay you should know this no he took me very seriously and answered every question um and that's safety right if you feel safe enough like in a classroom you everybody's doing the math formula and you think ah i got lost a while ago and you feel safe enough to raise your hand and ask the teacher a question you'll progress you'll learn if you don't feel safe to ask that question you'll stay lost till the end you'll try to figure it out later maybe if one of your friends is nice they'll sit and explain it to you so that safety um was also a huge support and um it's just fun yeah. you know just even just being around that environment and um 
I, you can tell that everybody involved in this really cares about sport and really sees the benefit that it brings, uh, bringing people together, you know, watching them improve, have goals, set goals, reach them. Yeah. Uh, it's a healthy environment. You'll do Dakar 23, inshallah. Inshallah. I mean, you're, you're, you're inshallah. aiming for it, correct? I mean, inshallah, that's the plan. Would you approach it any differently? What would you do differently? Um, keep my balance. No expectation. So... Obviously, there's uh, potential here. Alhamdulillah, the driving, you know, was was good. Same um, category, T3. You'd T3 continue there. And, Super Sergio um, will... Super Sergio. And um, honestly, my commitment to drive at my balance, my balance, my comfort level, that's my commitment. Every kilometer the same. No matter what rank I am, no matter what day it is, why should I drive differently on day three than day eight? Why should I be more risky at the end or at the beginning? It doesn't make sense to me. You have to always stay in your balance. Always. Why should you take chances? Because it's the last 10 kilometers. It, you respect every kilometer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the same as the first 10. Um, focus, focusing is, is what takes a hit. It's just that. And to achieve a positive result uh, during the year, whatever my balance or my comfort level as a driver is today, in one year, that should be at a higher skill level. So I'll do the Baha's World Cup, inshallah, again to improve that skill level and improve as a driver, I hope, um, and then maintain that comfort level while I drive that car. Now, when it comes to ranks or results, that also has nothing to do with being eight this year because every year you have new competitors, you have new cars, you have different uh, variables, different terrain, different everything. So I have to be very careful, careful as well. Eight in 22 is not whoever eight is going to be in 23, right? That's a completely different set of rules so or a different set of variables. But my rules have to apply, which is to drive at the comfort that I'm in. And I hope that it's going to be a higher level than I'm in today. But uh, inshallah, we'll see. Uh, but that's that's my uh, my promise, I hope. Hmm. hope it turns out well. Super proud of you. Thanks. Any, uh, any young girls come up to you, uh, say that they want to follow your footsteps? Um, for racing specifically? Yeah, I mean, to you, to to enter Dakar, it's something that's going to be here for the next seven or eight years. Yeah. Pretty cool for like a 16, 17-year-old girl, you know, who's seeing what you're doing and saying, you know, mom, dad, I, I want to do what, what Dania is doing. As long as she's safe. You know, the thing is with motorsport, I love to to encourage people to do what they love. If, it, if they do it safely, you know, I get messages sometimes, you know, how can you get into it? And I always direct them to the Saudi Motorsport Federation because they are the first, um, yeah. the first and only hub in terms of learning about the sport and uh, how to get into it. They are the, the place to go for mm -hmm. sure. So it is nice, you know, to see people interested in it for sure. But um, the way you drive um, is very personal. And I can't be responsible for someone's risk appetite, right? So every time somebody asks me or comes up to me, I for sure direct them to the Motorsport Federation and that's the end of it, you know, because they have the source of uh, whatever people need to compete. Um, but if I could, maybe this is none of, not my place, but I would say that uh, I hope whoever does choose to do it, does it in a safe way because you, you can race safely and you can race responsibly and you can race uh, with a lot of fun and uh, you can race at a really high level uh, without uh, being risk takers. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's, I hope that that's the way uh, whoever 
decides to follow maybe sparked by what i've done does it but but uh oh, for sure it'll happen I but mean, i don't know if i can go around you're, you're you're a hero to 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 a bunch of girls i'll tell, I mean, I'll tell you that right now because you're trailblazing this this is not this is all I new think, i mean I, look honestly it's the landscape right the landscape is opening up all of these opportunities are coming in i happen to love driving i happen mm. to be you know a decent driver and i pursued the sport but i can't take credit for uh you know the whole picture because really I, I I got the chance to drive in a race. I didn't create the race. Yeah. You know, I didn't organize the race uh, without ASO, without the Etihad, without the Ministry of Sports. I mean, so much goes into it. You know, I'm a driver, but it's such a big ecosystem. I wouldn't be able to drive without any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if, it's like our car. You know, there's so many different parts to it. You can't drive with just a steering wheel. You need everything else. You need all of the the screws and bolts and components. And you yeah. need everything. You need everything, everything, everything. Um, Was it well organized? Yeah, very well organized. You know, it's it's uh, a more a sport organization, the same organization that does Tour de France and oh wow, thousands of events a year. But that was one of their biggest. And um, no, this year it was part of the FIA World Rally Championship, so they were also heavily involved as the regulatory body. And uh, for sure, the Ministry of Sport and the Saudi Motorsport Federation. So it's huge. Isn't it great that we have that here? <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to get anything ready. Like the, the landscape is there for Dakar. Exactly. It's not like a World Cup where you have to build stadiums or, or you know, there's the exactly. infrastructure is you don't need it. You just have the bivouacs, which is a pop-up camp for those who don't know what it is. And 10 of those, 12 of those, and that's it. You it's know, idea. It's the idea for this. It's perfect. And you should have seen... It was so different, like the north to the south. Yeah, talk a little bit about the the, the terrain. The north was uh, really sandy. Orangey, by how it becomes orangey. Yeah, 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 really, really sandy, fast, um, but also dunes, everyday dunes, every day. The further further south we got, okay, we went to the River Al-Khali, the empty quarter, and for sure there's dunes there 100%, and they're big and huge, and the sand is really soft. Uh, which means that you really have to keep your momentum going. Mm-hmm. Because if you lose speed in soft sand, it's very likely that the weight of the car will sink into the sand. And then there's no getting out. Uh, yeah, and on your with own. a lot of effort yes. and a shovel. And, yeah. Did, uh, you get, did you, you get know, stuck at all? Alhamdulillah, no, kept okay. it moving. There's a... That's what uh, Yuta Kranchman told me. He said, Dania, I said, you know, I'm a bit intimidated by the dunes. She said, you just keep moving in the dunes. <laughs> just keep moving. <laughs> Even if you have to move back downwards. Yeah. Which I did once. Yeah, once I uh, went up and it was, I could feel it. And Sergio, you know, was like, keep going. I said, it's super, it's not like, happening. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I said, they you... can't, no puedo, you know, <laughs> no puedo. I went back down and then uh, we, we turned around, got some more momentum, went mm-hmm. back up. Maybe I think we went a bit on the right and took it uh, from a different angle. So, and then uh, also uh, in the south, that was when the really fast parts came in. There was this one day that we finished six on the stage. That was just You're flying, huh? Flying. It was it was really flat but muddy so you were in a track okay so it's really you have to keep the car really steady because the track is not smooth right there's bumps and it moves like this mm. and if you're going at a high speed and you have you know long turns and twists and these bumps within the track itself um you have to you have to maintain the car and i was so focused because i was having so much fun um that i felt like the whole thing went by in 5 minutes Five minutes. I didn't say a word to Sergio. He was just telling me, you know, cap one five zero, cap one seven two, cap one eighty five, and then that was that was all we do. Sometimes there would be maybe two tracks, and I'd just do something like this to Sergio, not even words, you know. 
<laughs> tell me that one. Like he saw, he knew. Um, and then when we finished, and oh, well, that was that was a good day because that was in the second half when we were trying to climb back up. Okay. That was the day we got back into top ten. It was such a good day. Amazing. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Did you get a chance to talk to most of the drivers there, the the A listers of Dakar, um, if you will? I was lucky to talk uh, a lot with Nasser Atiyah, you know, before we started, once on the rest day, and then when we were done. He's the very, Qatari yeah, champion he's very, he won. Very generous with his time and advice, and Amazing. he gives he he he's so encouraging, he's so supportive. You know, somebody like that. He won the the cross country world championship. Uh, it was a World Cup before five times now. I don't know, maybe six. I don't know uh, how many times he's uh, he's done. You know, Dakar multiple times. He used to do it when it was so- in South America, and um, he he's incredible. And and to be you know encouraged by somebody of that career uh, history and current career is, uh, is overwhelming. Yeah. You know, and he's so humble. He's so modest. Uh, he talks to me as if we're both gonna go play bumper cars mm-hmm. in the fun fair. It's amazing to have that. Such a nice guy. Because normally, normally, the ones who are up top, normally, in in other sports, they are not so generous with their information or time or anything. So it's it's lovely. Maybe they're busy. You know, when I talk to Nasser. You've done it for so long. You know, you talk just, to Nasser, I feel when we're talking that he has all the time in all the All the time. What you a gem what? of a guy. Don't feel like he has anywhere to be. And he has a lot of places to be, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the irony. I'm happy he won it this year. He deserves it. But um, honestly, I didn't really see anybody too too much. Yeah, I would I would drive. I saw Bruno a lot. You know, he was helping me a lot with mm. uh, my routine. So, and so Super Sergio. And uh, the mechanics. But I would just drive. I'd arrive. Um, go straight to the, the dinner place. Pick up some food. Go to my motorhome. Shower, sleep, rest. Wrap it up. Uh, I watched a couple of movies. I did the Star Wars trilogy. I watched some cartoons. I I needed to watch anything that wouldn't make me think. Yes. Because I needed my brain to kind of, you know, relax. I took a book with me thinking that uh, maybe I could read, but I did not have the energy for that. Mm-hmm. But I just used to put my iPod, iPad on and just watch some something I don't have to think about. No AC needed? <sighs> Never. Pop the window open and you're Never. good. Get the best sleep in the outdoor cold as opposed to the AC, which is something we're so accustomed to in this part of the world. Amazing, Daniel. Wow, so much in one year. So much. I'm so excited of, you know, how the second and third year are going to unfold for you. We're going to be watching and rooting. And how about you come back every time you finish that car so you can brief us on it? I'm sure each one would be different. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It won't get monotonous. I was like, do people do this more than once? And if so, what do they get out of it if they do it more than once? Having done it once now, uh, yeah, I'm doing it again. Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Um, Well, that's it for me and my notes. Is there anything that you would like to add before we uh, thank you for coming? No, just really thanks for giving me the chance to share my experience. I mean, it was two weeks, but it was so eventful. I learned so much from it, and there was so many different moments. And uh, I felt like it was a normal couple of months just condensed into 14 days, you know, I don't know. It's just it's nice to share the learnings from it because they really were so special. And I I know a lot of the the lessons that I talked about. Honestly, they're things that we know. Right? I feel people know. It's not like 
I discovered something that didn't exist. I knew these principles, but it's just interesting in racing to see them so clearly in front of you. You know, in life, we'll make a decision and we won't really see the consequence until maybe months later and in increments and very slowly in racing. It's like you make this decision 20 minutes later, you're you're seeing yeah. what happens. Yeah. So living yeah, with the consequences. Thank you. And thank you for this medal. I'm going to hang it up someplace very special in my house. And I'll think of you every time. I look. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's uh, let I me, look, let me polite, give it back right? to her right now. I, I left I polite, right? I was yes. waiting for you to finish. Said, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, later yeah, I'll yeah. tell him I'm giving it to my mom. Uh, before Danny starts sweating, <laughs> to I'm going to give mom. it back to her right now. <laughs> Amazing. It, it feels like an Olympic uh, medal. Like it's it's heavy. It's uh, Yeah, but we have to find out what they give the top three. Well, how about you tell us next year? <laughs> Danya, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for You're your time. You're the best. Thanks.